up? This is Ellie Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. Today I'm joined by... Annie Fell, Associate Editor. Listeners, two weeks ago, we shared with you our very first episode recorded backstage at Pitchfork Music Festival 2018. That featured Japanese breakfast Michelle Zahner in conversation with Alex Cameron. It was a great talk, and we have even more great talks coming up from the fest, including Fleet Foxes, Robin Pecknold with Nilafer Yanya, Tierra Wack with Namdi Ogbanaya, Zola Jesus with Circuit Does You, and Dev Hines, aka Blood Orange, in conversation with Raphael Sadiq. We also have today's podcast recorded there back in the VIP section. This talk features two of my absolute favorite newer artists, Leticia Tamko, aka Vagabond, in conversation with Julie Byrne. Julie Byrne released her debut album, Rooms with Walls and Windows, in 2014, but it wasn't until last year's Not Even Happiness that she reached a new level of success. Right. The reaction to Not Even Happiness was immediate and huge, and it was so cool to see the record top critics' lists across the board. Now, just for me personally, Annie, I grew up listening to folk music. My dad is a folk musician. I think the freak folk stuff... Uh, got me scared away for a little while. And, you know, when I heard Not Even Happiness, I was suddenly back to that space of loving the sort of quiet purity that the best folk music can bring. Yeah, she's one of the most mesmerizing performers out right now. And I mean, we've both seen her live. Her live is one of the most soothing experiences I've had. It is. It is. It's almost a a musical performative meditation. (laughs) I tweeted out from Pitchfork Fest where she performed with a harpist that Julie Byrne with a harpist should come with an emotional warning label. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a listen to the track Sleepwalker. I cross the country and I Amazing stuff, right? So good. Now, last year was also a breakout year for Leticia Tamko, who goes by the name Vagabond. She came out of the silent barn scene here in Brooklyn, which is associated with artists like Frankie Cosmos, Shamir, and Porches. She was born and raised in Cameroon, which is something that you should probably know of her context for the talk. Right, right. She talks a lot about how that affected her view of herself as a musician. Mm-hmm. Another fact about Leticia that, that she references in the talk is that she actually, until going full-time recently with music, was an engineer. Now, I asked her to tell me about it, Annie, and, and, and while she told me the specifics, I'm going to be honest, I had no fucking idea what she was talking about, <laughs> but it, I do know it involved phrases like double major in computer computer engineering and electrical engineering and and reference the terms advanced calculus, circuit building and quantum physics. She's an unbelievably impressive person. She is a total dynamo. Last year, Vagabond released her debut album, Infinite Worlds, featuring a classic DIY indie rock sound and Leticia's incredibly unique voice, which at times is so powerful and at other times so vulnerable. Let's check out Fear and Force, a standout track from Infinite Worlds. Thought I had more time 
Annie, I'm seriously thinking about just stopping our recording this intro right now and listening to the whole record. I would love to do that, but we have a job to do. <laughs> so Vagabond and Julie Byrne recently did a co-headlining tour through the U.S. Right. The two are tight friends. Now, here's an example. Their tour had just ended. They'd been on the road for quite a while together. I went to see a Julie Byrne show here in Brooklyn at National Sawdust. And who did I run into? But Leticia, just hanging out in the crowd. (laughs) The thing is, as great friends as they are, if you spend even a few minutes with these two, you'll see that they are very different people. That comes up in this talk via the very powerful lessons that they learned from each other. Totally. And and they chop it up about a lot. We hear about self-care on tour, both the physical and the metaphysical. Ooh. We also hear about the often delicate symbiosis of creating art and managing one's business. That is tough stuff. And I will say, Leticia is on it. We hear about the pressures of creating new music now that people are watching. We also hear about the benefits of having a dreamer in your friend group. And all about that one guy in the front row of Vagabond's opening set for Courtney Barnett in St. Louis. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Let's roll the tape. I'm Leticia. I make music as Vagabond. My name is Julie Byrne. Julie, I have a question for you. Sure. How is writing your next album going? Or is it like, what's that been like going from not even happiness Mm. to now like, you know, I feel like we've talked about this. We we started talking about this at the Huntington Gardens, Botanical Gardens in LA, Mm -hmm. when where we were talking about making the next one after feeling like, wow, it's so cool that this is this is what we do now. Yeah, I don't know where where have you been on that? I'm so curious. Yeah, definitely, that's such a good question, um, and one that I've been thinking about a lot myself because I, when I wrote. Um, not even happiness. And then also, I guess my entire relationship with music has always been as a hobbyist, really. And I've always worked other jobs for my livelihood and and jobs that have not had very much to do with who I am, like mostly in the service industry and things like that. And so music was a way for me to feel that I was expressing myself and being seen for who I was when the work that I was engaging in by day wasn't, that wasn't so much a part of it. And so now that I have the privilege to work as a musician, that relationship has changed and it's still such an active discovery for me. And I feel like I've always been someone where I can write a little bit on tour, but usually it's sort of one or the other. Same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us about where you are with your new record. Similarly, it's been kind of a lot of the work has been not only wanting to be a better producer, a better musician, a better songwriter, a better singer. I've had to kind of manage a lot of like emotional things that that nobody really warns you about. And I think I I used to call myself a hobbyist to my parents because it made them feel the least scared (laughs) of what I really wanted to do. (laughs) But I've always considered myself like one day I'm. I'm going to do this. Yes. Like, and I, I used to watch like the Grammys all the time and like all the award shows and be like, I don't, I, I can't understand how these people are like, I've known since I was 15 that I would be. And then I like this happened mm-hmm. in a way that now I tour for a living and I don't have to be an engineer anymore and I can just do what I want. It's, now like oh now I'm one of those people who like dreamt 
dreamt of this and like didn't really know, wasn't really set up for this to happen to me, just where I come from, where I'm born, how I got to the U.S., how I got to finding music, how I got to finding a community like you and all our friends. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really in my path at all. Like no one in my family's a musician. Everyone's an academic. Making Infinite Worlds under, you know, while like graduating a double engineering major and like it it was a whole different game than now. This is all I do. And so I had to like 90% of the work for, for LP2 has been managing my my personal expectations and like doing a lot of self-evaluating and a lot of self-work because things are different. Mm-hmm. So I think my music inevitably is going to be different. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to grow with it. Like I've, I've learned so much and I'm happy to be in, I feel like I've lived five lives is, <laughs> is the point <laughs> and I'm continuing and it's, it's, it's kind of cool. I'm, I'm almost there and it's really exciting. You know, my record has found a home now mm-hmm. and and it's going to be, it's just going to be me like living out all my fantasies, yeah. all my fucked up yeah. fantasies. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when we were taking pictures for yeah. our tour in May. Yeah, and we were having weed gummies and we were just <laughs> chilling. Um, yes. I remember we were talking and just something that you said the way that you described your relationship with music in part, you said, this is what I do to heal myself. And I just, that has always stayed with me. And just wondering if you wanted to talk any more oh. about that. Yeah, I I think that I have always felt that way. And and a lot, not to harp so much on, on like my upbringing, but it is so different than the world that I'm in now. Yeah. Um, and in my culture growing up is like kids are seen and not heard. They don't have opinions that are valuable to adults. They don't have things to say. So you aren't really put in a position where you can process your feelings adequately or even learn how to do that. So when I left my parents' house, I left with a backpack and and I was determined to like find how to like heal myself from all of the things I knew weren't me. Mm-hmm. And I found that through writing songs mm-hmm. and with everything that comes with this here, you know, like everything's so important. It's so high stakes now for me and probably for you too, because I want to do this for as long as, as I am like alive. Yes. And, and I want to learn to grow and I want to never be not curious about what's, what's going on or what's out there, what's next. And I find that the only place that I can find grounding in all, in between all the festivals, all the the press shit, all the like, everyone's in an album cycle. We all have Mm -hmm. friends who are music, just how to like silence the noise for me enough to make, to to tap back into that space before this meant the whole entire world Mm -hmm. and everything to me is to remember that I do it for my processing and that I have no other way Mm. of doing it. And as long as I stay true to that format, I'm always going to be proud of what I make. And it's not, it's not for everybody. It's Mm. like for me. And I think remembering that and those who latch onto it afterwards is, is just an additional treat. You know, Mm. it's almost like you don't want to stop doing what you're doing. So you're like, how are the ways that I can stay in this, in this zone that feels so good? But I want to focus on how are the ways that I can always tap back into that part of myself that made it without knowing the rest of this, Mm -hmm. without knowing that there are huge festivals, that there are album cycles, that there are labels, like without knowing any of that, why did I do it? And how can I keep doing it for that same reason forever? Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I, like, does that does that make sense? Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. That's that's beautifully and said. And I, I feel like you make music that is definitely healing to a lot of people, including myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I I wonder if that's something you go into it thinking and. You know, we've we've kind of joked about how like JB writes a song a year yes. and it's and it's the best song <laughs> no. that, that was written that year, you know, and and I love that. I love because we can feel so pressured by timing and like and and needing to just put out content and, and mm-hmm. have people remember that we're around and alive. And I don't know. Do you ever think about that or are you just like this is going to pour out of me when it does and everyone just has to wait? Yeah, I've been trying to kind of reconnect to that because you know, as you were saying, everything else just obscures my contact point with the reasons that led me to do it in the first place before mm-hmm. very many people, before anyone was listening, right. when it was just me in my mm-hmm. bedroom, you know, playing music. And yeah, I think that that was so beautiful what you said, is, you know, to basically remain, to really focus on how to remain in touch with that sincerity and to be able to channel that sincerity to other people. And it is not about those that don't understand it. It's Mm -hmm. about the people that like are also being healed through the process of our writing. Right. Yeah. It sounds like we both kind of value the long game. I call it the long game where I'm just, you know, I'm just getting started. You're just getting started. We're just getting our feet wet in the long, long, long road to being musicians is Mm -hmm. how I look at it. So I, I try to, I try to silence those kind of thoughts of like immediacy and like just immediately and like in real time always with if this is a long game what will be evaluated at the end by my peers by me as a musician mm-hmm. it's going to be the body of work not the timeline I, I tell myself that anyway I don't know if everybody believes that yeah. but I do that like the long game is more important than than being in a rush to to get it done and to be on on the radar as they say because yeah. I think um, I think a good body of work will be on the radar no matter what yeah absolutely you did quite a bit of DIY touring before mm-hmm. you know and I think yeah. that kind of grassroots approach to music or art making in general is so critical right. it's really important to experience everyone musicians, organizers, everyone that sets up the shows, cleans up after, you know, it's it's such a labor of love. Yeah. That reminds me of something you said on our tour together. You like shouted out the unsung heroes, uh. which were all the the staff crew and I've been using that at my at my shows yeah. when they're nice. <laughs> yeah. Shade. That yeah. is shade. <laughs> As you know men out here are crazy. Um but I've been I've been I've been using that because it, it is so true when you have like a stage hands helping you, everything goes so seamlessly. Like, and I just, I just thought of that when you said organizers is sometimes we can forget as artists, we're all wrapped up and we can forget the people who are helping us make it go smoothly yeah, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just thought of that. Sorry. I cut you no, off. <laughs> absolutely. No, it's so true. Tell me what are some of the things that you loved about being part of the DIY community and touring in the DIY community versus the transition of working professionally in music and what you yeah what you love about both spaces? Mm, that's so that's such a good question. I think because I played at a lot of like DIY underground punk venues in New York. People kind of think that that's all it is. But what I loved about the DIY community is that I could figure my shit out there. And 
I can go on stage without knowing what I'm doing and it won't be great, but there is really something to having a group of supportive people just cheer you on and know that you, eventually you're going to get there. Yeah. And that can help you get there. Sure, there's talent or whatever, but like things are taught. We learned how to play guitar. We didn't, we weren't born knowing how to. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes that encouragement from a community who are also figuring it out and doing it on their own and like not having a lot of access to huge rooms and nice equipment and all that, they can be that defining factor in you continuing to learn your thing and to mm -hmm. practice and to get up there. Like I learned how to tour before anyone was watching. I've played rooms to three people yeah. dragging my 98 Honda Accord <laughs> like yeah. around the country on its like fucking last wheels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and all I saw it as was practice. Mm -hmm. Like every single thing is practice to me. And DIY was so crucial for that. For me, I'm so into like the, like I'm really, I'm so serious about it. Like I, sometimes I wish I could have more fun about it, but I'm I'm just like, I need to be good. And so how do I be good? It's like play as many shows as possible. Mm -hmm. And I learn how not to be afraid on stage, mm -hmm. how to maybe talk to people on stage. Mm -hmm. And then like how to like learn how to put my, there are all these phases I'm going on where like now I have like two guitars and I feel so fancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'll play like Primavera Barcelona. I'm like, wow. I'm so fancy, two <laughs> guitars, you know, like I still haven't like totally caught up to like the shows I'm playing sometimes yeah. because, because of DIY. And, you know, I don't want to paint it as a utopia because there's a lot of nepotism and elitism and, and whitewashing in those communities as well. So I'm speaking from the perspective of someone who is like kind of accepted in, but I've also seen so many people who look like me and who don't have an art school background mm -hmm. or whatever, who were shunned out of that scene yeah. so I think for me it worked well in helping me practice and get all my my ducks in a row and I kind of like really live by stay ready so you don't have to get ready mm -hmm. is that I'm going to be three steps ahead of where my career is at all times because I don't know when I'm going to be there mm -hmm. and when I'm there I don't want to spend all that I don't want to waste any time getting ready to be there mm -hmm. so I took the DIY approach that way. And I'm taking this that way where, you know, a lot of people have only heard infinite worlds, but I feel like I got some good shit under my sleeve yes. for next time around. And I'm doing them live now mm -hmm. and I'm going to keep playing them. So when all those people get on board about what I've been doing, I, I, I hope with good reception that like, I'm not up there kind of like fumbling about how to play my new stuff, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and just playing professionally is like you get your coin and like that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like it has its qualms too. But mm -hmm. I know you have toured on your own mm -hmm. DIY for so many years. And, and we both, both our records came out on the same year. So I kind of, I want to hear what your experience has been like going from touring that way to then like not even happiness to everyone getting on board, which, you know, some of us already knew. Um, <laughs> And I wonder how traveling is for you now. Like mm. what, what are some rituals that, that have stayed mm. when you're touring between DIY and, and, and uh, professional? Yes. First I want to say I, in the opportunity of being able to tour with you, I feel like I learned so much just mm. through your example and how you conduct yourself as, I mean, of course, as a musician and an artist and a creative, like spiritual person, but also as a businesswoman. And so the yes. fact that, yeah, <laughs> and so the fact that you take it so seriously is doing justice to the people that are there 
loving it, waiting for you to come to town, waiting for you to be there, you know, and I think that's something that we all could learn from. Sometimes I feel like I'm just flying by the seat no. of my pants, just like trying to catch up to, you know, but, no. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, when I first started doing longer DIY tours, I was tw- like 22, 23. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning. And it lasted until I was about 25. And then I really settled down and yeah, started finishing up this album. But in that period of time where I was organizing my own tours and really, yeah, mm-hmm. really <laughs> mm-hmm. relying on um, the national DIY community right. that, you know, I mean, it's a, it's it's such a blessing to have that in so many ways. But um, I don't know. I feel like I was so young and wild in a sense, and I did not really have an idea of of what I required in order mm-hmm. for that to be sustainable. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just had so many emotional breakdowns on the road and there was no privacy to contain that, you know, how overwhelmed I was feeling. So there'd be a lot of times it was just like, we'd go for a walk. I was just like crying on the street. Like, you know, it's just like, (laughs) this is just where I'm at. And it's such a particular psychological headspace Mm -hmm. that I think I felt embarrassed about how volatile I could become. And it was always something that I tried to keep as private as possible. Mm -hmm. But, you know, playing night after night after night, sometimes sleeping on floors, sometimes, you know, getting lucky sleeping on couches, like in roommates' beds that were out of town, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it just, I would get worn down and I didn't have any kind, I didn't know myself well enough to know when my energy was at a critical low Mm. and I needed to withdraw and make space for my own restoration. And that's still something that I'm learning a lot about. Mm -hmm. Um, But my rituals, I, well, as you, as you know, I like to bring, (laughs) this is so silly, but I like to bring essential oils with me. It's not silly. It's great. I I have peppermint in my bag. Yes. And I have lavender in my bag and that's why we are such a good team. (laughs) We got it if you need it. (laughs) Yeah, we got it if you need it. Um, So, so yeah. So, I mean, it could be something very simple like that, but I mean, I think also just, um, I think for me, it's also been a process of understanding that sometimes what is the most affordable sometimes means that you're paying an emotional or psychological cost. That is such an important point of touring. (laughs) It's just like, even if it, you know, making sure that I'm like providing a comfortable and safe space for myself means that I'm not making as much money. It's still a better choice most of the time. Um, And I think just making sure that I have time, you know, at least five minutes before every show where I can just try to become more in touch with the space from which I wish to deliver my songs Mm -hmm. to people. And I think that's, that always makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good one. One thing, I don't think you think this is a ritual because every smart person should do it. But one thing you do is that you make sure that you eat before a show <laughs> I, I know it sounds really trivial but when you get especially you know we did a co-headline together we're getting there we're getting there so early then we have to sound check back to back and then yeah. the night is just us so then we're just at the show and I think just like 
how you mentioned essential oils and like now we both run like just like we're like finding these ways of keeping sane on tour and it goes kind of as like minimal and as necessary as food sometimes yeah that's one thing I learned from you on the tour is that like (laughs) you eat like before like take care of your body just that Mm. energy that we're expelling is so much yeah and it's important like the five minutes you take before a show I'm just kind of always frantic yeah and going on tour with you I was like you need to like relax, <laughs> like, you know, like, and I started relaxing. I'm on this tour. Like, yeah, w- yeah, whatever. Y'all, you we'll know, like, yeah, like I'll be at stage in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you can wait for yeah. me. I'm just like getting just a little bit more chill, but it's, it's helped so much with the mental aspect of touring. Mm. So I, you know, we learned a lot from each other on that tour. Yeah. Cause I, I got some good pointers mm. coming on just how to be nicer to your body when you're traveling. Mm. Mm. it's important no one tells you no one does tell. no <laughs> one does tell you no one tells you it wears on you yeah like, I, I love that so much when I was talking to um our friend Tyler and Deary about their role in father-daughter they work in A&R mm-hmm. and um and they were saying that one of their priorities in in working in a position like that is making sure that they're offering also emotional support right. to their artists and I think that's such a beautiful thing because I don't, I found that so much in my friends, you know, in you and in our community, but I haven't really had any kind of professional dynamic where someone really prioritized that. And I think that there does need to be more of that. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, outside of music, but I I think, I think all of us could really benefit from having more support in that way. Definitely. It should, it should be counted in more into the, into the whole thing. Instead of ignored completely. (laughs) Just bionic people playing around the world. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We're not hurting. (laughs) Oh boy. It's taking a turn. (laughs) From pleasantries. Yeah. But. You were just you were just in in Portugal. You just mm. played an amazing headlining show in Lisbon, right? Yeah. How was it? Oh my goodness! I saw you on the cover of like a Portuguese, like magazine or something. Oh, that's great! It was so <laughs> hot. Yes. That tour was that tour was really wonderful, um, and there was a lot more space kind of built into that tour. It was it was only f- it, it was six shows over two weeks, so it mm. was we've never had a schedule like that. It was really more of like, uh, it was, there was some, yes. Oh, and, and yours and your tour in Portugal was similar where you had some real seven days off in Porto, incredible, which is like a treat. Yeah. Um, yeah, that I, I have done this for us, um, which is track the flights from New York city and Austin to Porto. (laughs) So at any moment we could be on our way. Yes. Just be, just be aware. I want to return. them for us. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We need to spend some time there together. This is so real because a lot of our conversations are about where we're taking group trips. Totally. Like this is not put on. This is, we talked about Thailand, you know, we're just going to make it one day. Yeah. It's, you need friends who are organizers and and dreamers. Dreamers Dreamers are important in your friend groups because I can be so like, 
are we really going to Portugal? But then when your friends are like, let's go to Portugal, I've been there. <laughs> or like, let's go to Thailand, I have resources there. You're like yeah. more likely, you just need, you need a dreamer in the group. You need yeah. a few dreamers in the group. I agree. Who yeah. want to do all the things. Yes. So tell us about um, how Primavera was. That looked incredible. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was great. I think one of my favorite festivals, Pitchfork is also one of my favorite festivals yeah. um, and form. Barcelona was beautiful and I was just so excited to be there. I was so surprised to be in on that tour in a lot of new places for the first time and to hear people sing words back to me. It's just, it's so comforting when songs that you've written in your bedroom can kind of travel to places you haven't even seen yet. Yeah. Um, and then they can just like feed it back to you in this way that's really rejuvenating and like filling. Yeah. And, and I felt that at both uh, Barcelona and Porto and and Switzerland and and it was just it was it was bizarre. Those moments remind me that like it's that that it's okay. I'm doing something that I I'm supposed to. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. that is so meaningful for so many people that you have never met yet. Yeah. And then obviously through traveling, right. it's such a sacred opportunity to it like really experience the reciprocity that is so inherent to making music and then receiving it because they really do work together. And right. I, I feel that so much. And we were just talking about this when we right. were walking here, actually, like the relationship um, between a performer and an audience as a space of complete equality. You know, it's like when it feels like the spirit is in the room and there is mutual attentiveness to each other. Right. Everyone does so much better. It's true. And and I don't think for so long I realized that as an audience member that I am actually a participant mm -hmm. in that experience yeah. and that I can actually improve it or engage with the that collective spirit or or right. not. It's true. I I mean, I'm doing support for Courtney Barnett right now. It's been so amazing. In St. Louis, um, we played the pageant and there's, I, I keep remembering this guy. He's just like cemented in my brain, but, um, you know, lights are huge. It's like 2000 cap venues sold out. And there's one guy front and center right in front of me. And he has his arms crossed and looks furious the <laughs> whole time. And let me add him, Leticia. <laughs> <laughs> Like, and, and, and he looks furious the whole time. And I'm just like, this is so interesting. Like I, I almost stopped to ask him about his day, yeah, you know, like, yeah. and I, I thought of this because of, of you saying that the audience is part of, of the show and is participating is that, you know, that show felt so good and everyone else was so into it. But me as a musician and like kind of a hypercritical one of myself, I look front and center and I see this person and I'm just like focused on, on like this one person and like doing my very best, but like looking at this one person and kind of, if I, if I don't take myself back into the space and reevaluate, it can completely make me think that a good show was bad, yeah. you know? And like this person it, that that must have been the you know there was nothing there like this person just like is like that like mm -hmm. you know like because I it it, it continued yeah. but I remember that being a recent moment of me kind of checking myself and being like you know just being a little easier on myself and yeah. and also understanding that like the relationship between what I'm doing is so connected to the audience and the yeah. people who are receiving it and if they are open or not and you know we can play all these shows who are amazing but like this is a reality of it is that like that one person could have taken me out of what 
is to to most other people and to to my live band on stage and to me a great show a yeah. great sounding show we played for each other and we played for them mm-hmm. and it's such a reminder to to concert goers and to myself that everyone's included in this yeah. and in this feeling good yeah yeah that's such a compassionate attitude that you have towards him though where it's like you're for it? the, yeah well no but you're, you know it's like the, the first thought that you expressed was like I just wanted to ask him how his day was it's like what's going you know what's yeah, going on right, right. we had a stare down it was funny during, during during fear and force I just looked at him back like just saying to him exclusively and that was pr- probably very intense you know <laughs> but I have Scorpio all over my signs so I don't know you know I'm not I'm not worried but I wanted to sing to him specifically just because he was he was in a space and I thought maybe I could like get into that space and understand. It was weird. I was trying to do mind tricks and I took his soul at the end. (laughs) You know, if that's what he was worried about, it still happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You have an incredible show coming up in September. Tell us all about that. I'm going to headline the Getty Museum in LA (laughs) and I can't wait. It's kind of crazy. Um, Yeah, all all our friends should be in LA for that. And I'm just excited to kind of, you know, this. I've been playing more art museums. We played the, the Dallas Art Museum, oh, yeah. which was so beautiful Dallas. and just played Mass Mocha mm. and then did the MoMA. So like art museums have, have kind of like let me tap into my fantasies of what I'd like to see my music sound like live yeah. even more just because they can, they can, they can, they can do it. They yeah. can allot the space and, and the, the vibe for it, the environment for it. So I'm really excited to kind of, go off the deep end on on what I could do with these songs and to play new songs and and have string section horn section <gasps> for that show yeah oh I'm preparing that all and just gonna you know stay ready so I don't have to get ready yeah you know <laughs> yeah well oh, Julie it was so nice hanging we're just gonna go hang more yeah we're gonna we're gonna hang private. off the record now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we're doing <laughs> Well, um, I love you. I love you too. Yeah. I'm so happy that we can be here together this weekend. Me too. Yeah, thanks for shout all out Talk House. Yes, shout and out Talk House. Talk about Elia. everything. Thank you for all Elia. your support. Always, always, always. Leticia, Julie, thank you so much for taking some time out of your crazy touring schedules to join us here on the Talk House podcast. Listeners, if you're in LA, make sure to catch Vagabond live at the Getty. It is a magnificent building, I have to say. And if you happen to be here in New York, check out Julie Byrne playing at Pitchfork and October's Octfest, which also features Vince Staples, Nile Rogers, The Flaming Lips, Yola Tango, and loads more, as well as a million and one craft beers. If you're in neither of those places, or if you're here too, you can check out Leticia's conversation from Pitchfork Fest 2017 with Greta Klein, a.k.a. Frankie Cosmos. And make sure to check out our socials for behind-the-scenes clips from our Pitchfork Fest recordings, including an Alex Cameron and Michelle Zahner arm wrestling match. Incredible. Be sure to subscribe to catch all future episodes. And finally, listeners, I want to hear from you. Who would you like to see appear on an upcoming episode of the TalkHouse podcast? Slide into my DMs on Twitter, where you can find me at Elia Einhorn. Till next week. I'm Annie Fell. I'm Elia Einhorn. Peace. See ya. Thank you.
so glad there's editing. Oh my god. <laughs>